Pardon? Well, we continue our studies in the Ten Words, the Decalogue, reminding us that the the law of God has many uses. It's a revelation of God's nature. For instance, the commandment we consider today, Thou shalt not commit adultery, speaks of the, the, the loyalty of God, the holiness of God, that God keeps covenant. He's a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. And, and He made man to enter into covenants. For instance, marriage is a covenant relationship very clearly uh, revealed in passages like Proverbs 2 and Malachi 2. It's a, uh, a revelation of sin it's by, by the laws, the knowledge of sin. And obviously the Prohibition, thou shalt not commit adultery, indicates that adultery is a sin. Some have said, well, um, is it arbitrary that God has made these sins, or is it just pragmatic that it's so? That it just, and uh, does it really matter? Uh, God is the one that determines whether something is right or wrong, but it's according to His own nature, yes. But, whether or not it's practical, some people think that by that breaking these commandments is practical for their prosperity or for their livelihood. And but the Bible says that sin is is damaging. It is it is uh, damning to the soul and displeasing to God. Whether or not people prosper by. Um, not conforming to God's law or transgressing against it. Um, be sure your sin will find you out. But we trust God that, that what He says is right is right. And what He says is wrong is evil. It's a revelation of Christ's righteousness. And he had to earn perfect righteousness to credit to our account. And, and Jesus was pure in His thoughts, words, and deeds. He avoided transgression of the seventh commandment, and he, though he wasn't married, he was very pure in his thoughts, words, and deeds. And uh, he kept the seventh commandment perfectly for us so that we would have perfection to get into heaven and that our sins against the seventh commandment would be under his blood and into the deepest sea. It's a revelation of God's will for us. Remember, the Ten Commandments were given to a people that were already redeemed. It's not The Ten Commandments are not given as a means to salvation, but as a result of being redeemed. So this is the way the Lord, the Lord is saying, I have delivered you from Egypt, therefore I've given you the freedom to obey my word. And these are the summaries of my word. And so it's obedience to God out of love. For Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If we love the Lord, we will not commit adultery and we will engage in the precepts of this commandment which are vast, both sides. 
as you'll see from a couple statements from the larger catechism. It's a, a vast category like every category. What did the psalmist say? Thy commandments are exceeding broad. What did he mean by that? He meant that the categ- they're categoric in nature and they're just vast in the uh, um, definition of the precept and the prohibition. We don't just look at the bare words, thou shalt not commit adultery, as if it's, only, it's saying only um, those who are married can break the seventh commandment. Uh, it's suggestive in nature. Some people look at those words as merely literal and wooden, and they don't branch out from there. But I'll, I can show you from the list of vices that many of the lists uh, um, team several of the breaches of a certain commandment together. They lump them together, as you'll see. And the Ten Commandments are uh, a challenge to magistrates, how they are to rule, whether it be the country, a city, a town. Uh, The Seventh Commandment is given to our magistrates, our town supervisor, our attorneys in town. For instance, they are to promote uh, the marriage between a male and a female. They are to demote the, the the marriage of supposed supposed marriage of a male and a male, or a female and a female, or they are to to not uh, give easy divorces and easy loopholes, and they are to be careful uh, as far as the the venues that they allow in their in the country, in the town, in the city. Uh, for instance, venues where you have immodest clothing upon those that are on stages and so on. So it's, it, these are vast uh, commands given. There are many uses to these. But I'd like us just to, to uh, consider another reading. Leviticus 20, we read together earlier, verses 7 to 15. And uh, the, the list just shows you the ugliness of sin in this category of the seventh commandment. And the the depth that man has gone to invent immorality, sins of immorality. I mean, could it, could we ever imagine uh, incest, bestiality, adultery, fornication, um, in or uh, polygamy, and all these sins that are recorded in the scriptures and. Uh, Man was made upright, but he sought out many inventions. Look with me first in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Verse 3, beginning with verse 3, The Pharisees also came unto Jesus, tempting Him and saying unto Him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And He answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that He which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they 
twain shall be one flesh. Where, wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So this is the precept of the seventh commandment. To promote and preserve holy matrimony. And he goes on to say that uh, Moses permitted divorce so that he would protect the victim, usually the wife, from uh, these easy reasons for divorce. But it was not so from the beginning. And then Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5, beginning with verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Which is obviously the seventh commandment. But I say unto you, He's not changing this, this seventh commandment. He is showing the depth of it. That whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right hand offend thee, this is, this is obviously um, hyperbole, but it's that serious of a sin. It can damn the soul. If thy right hand offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and that not, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Same about the right hand. And so on. It hath been said, verse 31, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. And so just a few verses regarding uh, the precept of the seventh commandment. Remember, eight of the Ten Commandments are given in prohibition form. But to every prohibition, there's the corresponding precept and vice versa. Two commands are given in the precept form and there's the corresponding prohibition. We know that from uh, comparing Scripture with Scripture. Well, it says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And the precept is, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And also in Titus it says that wives are to be lovers of their husbands. Lovers of their own husbands, literally. And so you have, the, again, the, the categories of, the, of morality versus immorality. Interestingly, this verse that's, that's translated, Thou shalt not commit adultery, one time it's translated uh, differently and it's an interesting um, choice by the translators. Ezekiel 16.38 says to break wedlock, which is a fair translation, but it's the same verb that's translated to commit adultery. And so the seventh commandment could be translated, thou shalt not break wedlock. But again, we have to be careful that it's, it's not a wooden, just wooden words as if only those who are married or only the one, one who would uh, commit an immorality with a married person can break this commandment. 
it's a category regarding immorality. But you see the, the, the covenant relationship that's so important as the, the basis for this particular commandment. But the Bible speaks of committing adultery when we forsake the Lord, when we worship idols. Throughout the Old Testament and the New, we have, for instance, verses like Jeremiah chapter 3, where it says that Israel has played the whore. They've committed spiritual adultery. So, someone said this, and I think it's a pretty good definition as far as um, all intimacy outside marriage, whether it's before marriage, during marriage, after marriage, or instead of marriage. So I think that pretty well covers all the, the sins of the, sick, of the seventh commandment. All intimacy outside marriage, which is, includes before marriage, during marriage, after marriage, which would obviously deal with people who've become divorced or widows or widowers, and instead of marriage, which would include other sins of immorality like homosexuality and incest and so on. So, this is a, this is a huge, a huge category. And may the Lord help us. And, and the, the precept we read together in Leviticus 20, verse 7, Sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. Be ye holy in, in body. Be ye holy in, in, in mind. Be ye holy in your soul. And again, this command, this, these sins are such because God has said so. Whether or not they're pragmatic to keep or to break them, that isn't the question. The question is, what saith the Lord? And he says in Malachi 2.15, Let none deal treacherously with the wife of thy youth. And the precept is given in the verse before, She is thy companion, therefore love her. And she is the wife of thy covenant. So deal lovingly and not treacherously with your spouse and with someone else's spouse. So marriage is very clearly Malachi 2.15 and Proverbs 2.17 Marriage is a covenant relationship. It's not a loose relationship. It's not random. It's and it didn't start with Israel. It's a creation institution like the Sabbath and like work. And in, in the book of Genesis, God made man male and female after His own image. In, as you know from our shorter catechism, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the creatures. So the covenant of marriage is heterosexual in nature and monogamous. Though He permitted polygamy, polygamy is a breach of the seventh commandment. For it says that uh, a husband is to love his wife. And He made them, again, male and female. He made them one, Malachi chapter 2. It's a horrible list of vices when the Bible reveals 
this category throughout Scripture. It would include, again, adultery, pornography, homosexuality, harlotry, polygamy, bestiality, child trafficking, transsexuality, incest, bisexuality, and many other unnamed indulgences of the flesh. And may I say that divorce is forbidden by implication. In other words, just looking for divorce is a loophole because of some obscure thing in the spouse is certainly forbidden. For Jesus, you remember, shows us that that unless the, the only real cause of divorce in Matthew is, is uh, adultery and impenitence on the, on the, uh, in the case of the adulterer. And then you look at 1 Corinthians 7 that uh, if, the spouse, um, if the spouse abdicates the marriage and... and, and uh, is, leaves the marriage and doesn't return that, that the Apostle Paul indicates that the, the victim is, is uh, able to be remarried is not uh, responsible in that case the evil inventions of fallen man it's hard to believe isn't it the Lord tells us that the marriage bond is sacred the purity of life, purity of body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. So again, this is a vast category. And I want to show you some, just to read some passages to indicate that it's not just dealing with adultery. It's dealing with other, any other sin of immorality. In Hebrews 13, you don't need to turn to these passages. It says, Marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Notice it's not just adulterers that God will judge. He will judge whoremongers, which is the word that's normally translated fornicators in the New Testament. It's the word porneia, from which we get our word pornography. Today we think of pornography as merely pictures. But in the New Testament, pornography is any form of immorality. And normally, besides adultery, at least in Hebrews 13.4. 1 Corinthians 6.9 These will not inherit the kingdom of God. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind. Notice he lumps all these together as breaches of the seventh commandment. Fornicators normally... Is dealing with those that have intimacy before marriage or unmarried people. Uh, idolaters, where immorality can become I, 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 idolatrous. Adulterers. Effeminate. What does effeminate mean? Well, it's when the male wants to act like a female and the female wants to act like the male and then it goes on the abusers of themselves with mankind so homosexuality would be a breach of the seventh commandment he lumps all these sins under the seventh commandment in 1 Corinthians 6 9 and it's such a horrible sin that those who commit these things and do not repent shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Galatians 5.19, the works of the flesh are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. They're all lumped in the same breath as breaches of the seventh commandment. And so you have there not only adultery, but you also have the word uncleanness, which would certainly include all those abuses that we would, that we would not name. And lasciviousness speaks of that which is filthy. These are filthy sins. Colossians 3, Mortify your members, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, and concupiscence. All these are dealing with the seventh commandment. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, This is the will of God, even your sanctification, you abstain from fornication, not in the lust of concupiscence. Goes on to say, not in uncleanness, but in holiness. All those are dealing with the seventh commandment. Jude seven, he speaks of those that committed fornication, literally sexually sexual immorality, and then it goes on to say, and those going after strange flesh. So he lumps fornication and homosexuality together as breaches of the seventh commandment. And we read together Leviticus twenty. Horrible. All these sins are together. Adultery, incest, homosexuality, bestiality, and many other inventions are there. It's hard to believe that people would commit incest, for instance, or, or uh, with your uncle's wife. What, even if you say, well, she was, he, he, how do you know that, he wasn't wit- that she wasn't widowed? That's, the point is being made whether they're still married or whether they're not married. It's still a filthy sin that should not be committed. And Deuteronomy 24, the Pharisees thought was the loophole from, from a marriage, but Jesus taught not so. That it was actually a, a, a lawful protection of the victim who was being divorced. That that adulterer, or that person wanting to divorce his wife, had to lawfully give her a writing of divorcement. So publicly say, I do not want to remain married. So it was actually a, a shameful thing and it, gave, it, it, it made them think twice about divorcing their wife because they would have to go to the city gate. And the elders would be there and it would be made public that I have broken, I want to break the marriage covenant and disobey God. And let me just Close is just horrible, but it's all over the Bible. Romans thirteen nine uh, quotes, "Thou shalt not commit adultery," but it goes on to say that reveling, drunkenness, chambering, which is cohabitation or shacking up today, uh, strife and envying, wantonness and filthiness, lasciviousness is all in there. So it's not only giving us the actual sins, but the triggers to those sins. That's why, for instance, in our confession of faith or in, our, in the larger catechism, drunkenness is part of the prohibition of the seventh commandment. Now we would say, well, isn't drunkenness uh, uh, that which is forbidden in the sixth commandment? Because you abuse your body and drunk people uh, drive and kill people. So it, isn't it a breach of the Sixth commandment, yes. But I believe they're correct to say that drunkenness is a breach of the seventh commandment because 
How often do we find, for instance, in Proverbs that the drunken person dreams and, and imagines things that are, uh, that are immoral, that are sinful. And it says, for instance, that strong drink is raging. It causes someone to become angry. Yes, the sixth commandment, but angry people do immoral things as well. And you often find immorality associated with taverns, drunkenness. Romans 13 talks about um, uh, reveling, carousing. That's all part of the drunken, the drunken scene. And normally it ends up with immorality. So it's horrible, but... The Lord wants us to he wants us he wants to paint something that shows us the filthiness of all this the wickedness of it and um I just want us to think about the, the prohibition today especially that it's a great sin the sin of 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 of, of adultery now you say every sin is a great sin yes but this several times in the bible is called a great sin For instance, when Abraham, as it were, tempted the the king of uh, Philistia to take Sarah into his palace, the Lord, remember, in a dream, warned this king. What did the king say to Abraham? You have have tempted me to to commit a great sin. You can see that, for instance, in in, uh, Genesis chapter 20, in verse 9. What hast thou done unto us, and what have I offended thee that thou hast brought on me and my, on my kingdom a great sin? In other words, he's describing what would have been adultery if he would have, if he would have taken Sarah intimately. And then we're told in other passages, for instance, remember Moses uh, when he was praying to the Lord that, regarding the, the golden calf incident. What did Moses say? Lord, they have sinned a great sin. Blot me out and not them. In other words, they were committing spiritual adultery with the golden calf and Moses called it a great sin. And it is. It ruins marriages. It ruins families. It ruins churches. It ruins society. I mean, it's a sin that is acceptable today and rewritten where evil is called good and good is called evil. As it were, Hollywood has to throw in adultery to get more tickets sold, to have more people come and watch their films. And when's the last time you ever heard the word adultery on the news? Or adultery in films? It's, it's now glazed over with a relationship. And they're even on supposed talk shows saying that that affairs are are acceptable and actually helpful to people. And so we have heard about on shows like what's her name? The the the, the very wealthy talk show Oprah has had on her on her shows that it's healthy to have an affair. And of course, all of us have heard about um, the uh, the millions of people that are, that were that someone hacked into Ashley Madison, I think it's, it was called, and uh, many ministers had to resign their ministries because 
the hacker exposed over a million names. And you know what their slogan was, if you remember? It's good to have an affair. The wickedness of man is great in the earth. This is a great sin. And we have to acknowledge that. Even though uh, there are those that have been saved from this sin and delivered from this sin, we've got to continue to remind each other it's a great sin. It's a horrible sin against God. It's a, secondly, a gross sin. I mean, think of the grossness of all the sins under this category that I've already described. I don't need to to uh, list them anymore, but the grossness of breaching the marriage covenant and someone being intimate with someone else's spouse, someone else's daughter, someone else's son, someone else's uncle or aunt, or just think about that when you're tempted to commit immorality. That's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's husband. That's somebody's wife. That's someone's nephew or niece right down the line. That we, And if really, at the end of the day, there's a soul made in the image of God. Cannot we see the Lord in every person that we're tempted to commit immorality with? It's a great sin. It's a gross sin. And could I... Let me read you that list. And you tell me whether or not they're correct in, in, in describing the, pro- the prohibition of the seventh commandment. Question number 139. Listen very carefully. What are the sins forbidden in the seventh commandment? The sins forbidden in the seventh commandment besides the neglect of duties required. So he, that's a huge list right there. The want of conformity to the seventh commandment. Here is now the the breach of it, the transgression of it, adultery, fornication, rape, incest, sodomy, and all unnatural lusts, all unclean imaginations, thoughts, purposes, and affections, all corrupt or filthy communications, or listening thereunto, wanton looks, impudent or light behavior, immodest apparel, prohibiting of lawful and dispensing with unlawful marriages, allowing, tolerating, keeping of stews. Now, stews were like feasts that they had that attracted people and it ended up being immoral in nature. That's their word from back in the 1600s. So it says, um, having... I'm sorry... um, keeping of stews and resorting to them, entangling vows of single life. That's interesting. That someone should not vow to be single if it's not the will of God because it's going to lead them into, into sin. They need to repent of that rash vow if it's not the will of God. Undue delay of marriage. These things are challenging. You know, We think of, of the gross, obvious things, but there are those that remain unmarried on purpose and they're just delaying. They've got to be careful. And obviously the challenge is if you're looking for someone perfect, you may never get married and you may be in this category of undue delay of marriage. Having more wives or husbands than one at the same time. Unjust divorce or desertion. 
idleness, gluttony. Interestingly, they put gluttony. I have to put my mind in the, in the mind of the men back in the 1600s. I can understand drunkenness, but help me out maybe at the dinner table with gluttony. How is gluttony? I can understand it being a breach of the sixth commandment. How is gluttony a breach of the seventh commandment? Stay tuned for next week. Unchaste company. Lascivious songs. Lascivious books. Lascivious pictures. Lascivious dancing. Lascivious stage plays. And all other provocations to or acts of uncleanness either in ourselves or others. And then was added later brothels. Unbelievable. This is scary, isn't it? Who is sufficient for these things? Oh, we have to confess, Lord, forgive my sins against the seventh commandment. Forgive my covenant unfaithfulness in marriage to the Lord in, in, in salvation. To the church have we sinned against each other. To the community. To our country. We have, we, have we, can any of us say that, that we have escaped all of these sins of thought, word, and deed? God, forgive us. This is a great sin. It's a gross sin, but I want to encourage us. It's a forgivable sin. It's not the unforgivable sin. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what, remember the words that the prophet gave to David after the Lord faced him. David had committed adultery and murder. And remember the parable that Nathan told David and the knife struck home. And, and David said to Nathan, when Nathan says, Thou art the man, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And right down the line, you have despised the commandment of the Lord. You have killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword, and you have taken his wife to be thy wife, and have slain him with the sword of the children of Israel. The sword shall never depart from your house. And what did Nathan say to David? You have no hope. You're going to perish forever. David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Oh, that we would all have that seriousness when we sin against God. But what did Nathan say to David? The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Adultery, fornication, all the sins against the seventh commandment are forgivable. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from every sin. But oh, that first of all, we would see the greatness and the grossness of the breach of the seventh commandment. And then may we ponder that there's a fountain open for sin and uncleanness. Let us plunge in the fount of Jesus' blood. Let us plead His blood and His righteousness. And know there's forgiveness with the Lord that He might be feared. And may I say that God can give grace to the, to the, the victim, the spouse, the parent. I mean, can you imagine someone taking your child and committing an immorality against your child? 
So whether it be a spouse, a parent, a brother or sister, a preacher, whoever it might be, God can give us grace to forgive the immoral person. For if we realize, again, the forgiveness of God toward us, and we look vertically, such were some of you, but now you're washed. Now you're sanctified. That God can give us grace to forgive our transgressing spouse or child or brother or sister or fellow member. God can give grace. But may I say, it's, it's a sin that leaves a stigma. And we have to understand that. But there's forgiveness. We can forgive. And may I say lastly, it's a sin that is reversible. It's forgivable, but is reversible in the sense, not in the sense that you'll ever be able to really remove the stigma, but it's reversible in the sense that you can now pursue purity. As the Lord says, flee now fornication. Flee youthful love. Pursue righteousness. Pursue purity. The Lord not only forgives, the Lord sanctifies and gives victory in time. One day at a time, we walk with the Lord. One day at a time, we, we uh, mortify the deeds of the flesh. One day at a time, we dislodge thoughts of immorality and cause the thoughts of purity and holiness and righteousness to lodge in our minds and hearts. There is forgiveness. And if there's forgiveness, there is the possibility and the definiteness of reversible nature where God says that we are to walk in the Spirit. And now we can have the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, meekness, and self-control. There is, there is the power of God. Remember what Jesus said to the woman taken in adultery? First, He talked to those that were scorning her. Go ahead and cast the first stone if you're guiltless of this of immorality altogether. Go ahead. And they all left. Where are your accusers? What did He say to the woman? Yes, He said, in a sense, I have forgiven you. But what did He say? You have, you're hopeless. You have a stigma. You have a, a red letter now on the back of your, of your garment. He said, go and sin no more. That's the negative of do righteousness. Walk in the Spirit. Be holy. I will give you power to live a holy life. And what a wonderful thing, isn't it, that that woman probably got married and was able to prove the righteousness of God and prove the power of God. And perhaps the woman that was that had five husbands and the one that she was living with was not her husband. I would, I would venture to say she either put that sixth man away or she married him and she lived a life of holiness. There was the reversing of the cursing of immorality that previously marked her life. Brother and sister, what can we say? But the power of God is sufficient. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin and the power of God causes us to resist sin and to walk in the way of righteousness. Amen.